Philippians chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 17. And hear the word of God this morning. Brothers, join me in imitating, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, somebody should have said amen right there, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Once again, let me pray over the reading of God's word this morning and over the remainder of our time. So God, thank you so much for speaking to us through your word. I thank you, God, that it brings life um, and it is a light. I pray, God, that we would not just be hearers of what we just heard, but also doers. And when we leave this place, we will see how majestic and beautiful and glorious and magnificent our King Jesus really is. And it's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to refresh our memories, if I can, on context of what's happening here and where they are located, because this is going to have a huge implications on there's some familiar verses that we heard here, and it's going to have a big impact on what this means. So remember, this is a colony of Rome, right? It is being governed by the Roman Empire, by Caesar. And it's interesting because a lot of former Roman guards or former Roman soldiers were moving to Philippi. Rome was getting too big for them, and they wanted to go retire in a, in a wonderful, beautiful little city called Philippi. And so they loved Rome so much uh, and Philippi so much, and they loved Caesar so much, and so they had their temples, and in their temples they would go, and they would go burn their incense in honor of king of the area and the world and their views. In their view, Rome was not going anywhere. In their view, Caesar was God. And all of this is fine and dandy up until we get Paul's letter and up until Paul plants this tiny little house church in Philippi. So Paul plants this church, and you can read up on it in, in the book of Acts. Paul plants this church in Philippi, and we've, got some, we've already got a crowd gathering here, and we know one of them is a former soldier. And they hear this message that their citizenship is in heaven. You got to understand the, the, con and the importance of this. But if you understand the other writings of Paul, Paul says, men, follow me as I do what? Follow Christ. I got a couple people awake this morning. So he's saying, you follow me as I follow Christ. Who are you following? What are you following? Imitate me. Paul's laid it all down, right? You remember that back in a few verses uh, previous to this when Paul's like, look, I was the most righteous guy you ever met. 
until I met Jesus and I, and, I, and I was met with the fact that my righteousness really doesn't even matter, that my works and deeds and all of these things were just scubalon. Y'all remember that word, scubalon, poop? <laughs> like there's still an inner 12-year-old inside of me that giggles about those words. Like my little three-year-old comes up to me and says, hey, dad, you're poop. Like it's still funny. I don't know why. Will I grow up? No, but that's not your business, okay? Follow me. Look, I've laid it all down. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's nothing important that I've done. It's just that I'm following King Jesus, and you need to follow King Jesus too. Now, it's interesting in context because um, Philippi was a major trade route, and so it wouldn't be just Paul passing through, but it would, it would be other people passing through, and quite possibly other people who were trying to infiltrate the church of Philippi, who were trying to degrade the message of the cross of Christ, possibly Judaizers that were coming in and trying to distort and trying to re-inject the Old Testament way of life. Oh yeah, I know Jesus said it was finished and all, and I know that that kind of created a new path to salvation, but we still got to do all this circumcision stuff. So we kind of understand that they're being in this trade route here, that there are probably other people who are trying to infiltrate the church with this message, because look what he says. Um, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's not a popular message for them. This message of the cross of Christ, that Jesus Christ is king and not Caesar. And Paul is so worried that he's in tears over this. Like he's disturbed at the thought that some Judaizer would come into the church and try to infiltrate it with their message and try to destroy the cross of Christ in that message. So he goes on and he says in verse 19, look what he says about these people, because this is interesting and this is not a popular message either. He says, yeah, those people who come into the church who are trying to do Jesus plus works or Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus how you're going to do more things to gain the, the righteousness of Christ. He says, oh yeah, those folks, their end is, what does he say? Destruction. Their end goal or their, their end of life, their destiny is destruction. Again, not a popular message to preach because one day everybody's going to be standing before King Jesus and he will either be your king or your judge. And if he's your judge, then your end is destruction. Not a popular message at all. And here's Paul saying, if you are teaching this heresy your end isn't going to be good. It's destruction. It's calamity. And he continues on and he says a few, th- few different things. I just kind of want to laser in on just for a second. What does he say? So their end is their destruction and he describes them. He says three things about them. That their belly is their God. Their glory and their shame with their mindset on earthly things. Now, again, Judaizers coming in, this could be two different things. This belly is their God idea. It could be two different ideas that Paul is laying out. So Judaizers, right, they, they kept the law. 
I mean, they, they idolized the law and kept every dietary strict restriction that they could. And so in one sense, it could be about them trying to raise uh, up this law and this dietary uh, restrictions that they are supposed to adhere, right? No bacon. What kind of life is that? That alone, church, is heresy. Should have had amen right there, but y'all quiet. It also could be this idea of belly kind of gives the, um, the, the meaning of, hang on, bodily functions? That's really disgusting if you really think about that. But that's not just including food. It's also talking about our sexual impurities, So what is he saying that their God is? It's not just food. It's not just the dietary restrictions that they are supposed to adhere. It's also sex, drink, right? All of these things. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things, but what happened? They've made them their God and their authority lies under food, drink. Utah ain't got no problem with drink, right? right? Can't even buy wine at Walmart. I'm not bitter, whatever. Um, Sex, you know, 10 years ago, there was a study about Utah, and they said that, the study said that Utah was, had the number one subscriptions for pornography. So think about just America as a whole. Wouldn't you agree our God is still the same? Food, drink, sex, all of these things that we're so drawn to and we make them our idols. And then he says they glory in it. I'm not quite sure what that means, but it sounds weird, right? You're glorying in your sin. I don't really need to do like a, give you pictures to give you images of what that means, but that's disgusting, right? And then he says, and their minds are on earthly things. Paul is likely writing this. We, we think that he's writing this in, in prison. We know that he's writing this in prison. He's also writing this likely around the same time that he writes Colossians. And so if you see in your Bible, there's a little probably reference for right there on earthly things. He's talking about, there's a reference to Colossians when he says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are below, things like earthly things, sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, greed, um, anger, and malice. That's the earthly things that he's talking about here. So he goes on and he's talking about like, get your mind on the kingdom of, of Christ. Set your minds on that. Now, all of that wraps up this context of what's about to lead into this verse that sends a bomb and a shockwave to the church. He says this in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies into his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So I want to focus real quick um, on this word citizenship. Citizenship comes from the word that we get today, 
politics, okay, before you are ready to cast a stone or leave the church, just hang with me for just a bit, okay? Citizenship comes from where we get our word politics. It has to do with one's behavior towards being a citizen of a colony, right? That's what Philippi is. It is a colony of Rome. That they are being governed under uh, what we would call a constitution, right? That they're being governed under the law of Caesar, under the law and rule and reign of a man, Caesar, under Rome's rule. That's what politics is. That's what he's talking about when he says that you are a citizen. You are politically bound to heaven. So the idea here is that, that your politics are about the kingdom of God. That you have politics of heaven. Isn't that interesting? It's so interesting to me. In fact, I would... I would venture off to say that Philippians is a book of joy, is a book about King Jesus, but is a book that is politically motivated. Meanwhile, Rome typically welcomed all types of different spiritualities, right? In fact, that was one of their ploys to get people to come under the rule and authority of their kingdom. But... The message that Paul is giving isn't some uh, spiritual just kind of way that we can just go um, uh, at the corner of the temple while they're worshiping Caesar. We can have our little corner over here. That's not, Paul was, that's not what Paul is doing. Paul is introducing an incredibly powerful new way of life, the politics of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You can't mix... King Jesus and King Caesar. And, and Paul knew that, and that's what landed Paul in prison, what I would suggest. So Paul is very political in his approach to getting these Philippians, remember context, these former Roman soldiers who just went here to retire, found Christ, still loved country, man. Like these guys were waving their flags if they had them. These guys were God and country, bruh. But Paul's like, it cannot be that way any longer. Your citizenships, your politics must be about the kingdom and rule of Jesus Christ. Politics. A subject that gets people in a lot of trouble. I have found myself many a times in those places where I was like, why did I say that? I think I've, I've probably mentioned this a couple times in our midweek podcast, shameless plug. Um, so this one time, I love telling the story because it's a very fascinating kind of study on humans and their reaction to when a pastor says something political. It's always fascinating to me. I don't really get political a lot on my social media. In fact, I, I don't even rarely put much. In fact, if I do, it's a a picture of one of my kids being really crazy, or my wife, not being crazy, but a picture of me or, anyway. I mean, she is that too, but anyway, okay. Um, so I was talking about something, and I, and I mentioned some um, of our past leaders of our country. Um, I've, I mentioned just various political leaders, and 
it would have appeared that I had slapped somebody in their face or stabbed them like in their heart because I had talked about them. Now, one thing you got to know about me is that I am a, a equal opportunity offender in a holy way. That could go really bad, okay? And I understand the reason why is because my, my hope really is not in, um, I don't know, Obama or, or Biden or Trump or whomever. My hope is in King Jesus Christ. So, so I made this political post, and, and, and this will be marked with me forever. The, the one guy comes on there, and I, I've, I've been waiting for this comment because I was getting some backlash. They said, how dare you, pastor? You just stick with preaching. So I thought about that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be very subtle and gentle in all of my responses, as I typically am. I immediately go to this passage, and I see how Paul is not restraining back from being political. He's engaging in a political, spiritual overthrow. Don't miss that, okay? It's not the type of insurrection where we get our Glocks and we get our, our rifles and we go down, right? That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Please don't do that. You'll end up in prison. It's a spiritual insurrection that Paul is launching against King Caesar. You are not God. You are not king. There's only one king and his name is Jesus Christ. Treason. I wonder how many Christians, how many of us, if we could kind of get that idea, that Christ the King has called us to engage. And one way we read this text and we see, my citizenship is in heaven. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm just going to wait here until Jesus comes and gets me. And how easy we could read that. Like, I'm just going to go bunker down and, and just wait. I don't want to engage in anybody. I don't, want to, I don't want anybody to accuse me of being political, so I'm just going to keep my mouth closed. And I'll just wait till the coming of Jesus Christ. That's not what Paul is implying. Paul is implying a spiritual insurrection in Rome. In fact, we know this. Y'all, Paul's crazy, y'all. When he, in chapter four, when he says, and we send, we send greetings from the house of the emperor. He's already got a mold out, y'all. He got a mold already infiltrating the empire. For them, they thought, my security, everything is wrapped under Rome. It's like Nero comes out and he's like, y'all, the government's here to help you. Help is on the way. We're here. The Calvary's here. And Paul's like, no. Nah. In fact, Paul even talks about the destruction of Rome. Paul's like, there's, there's one king who we are under the authority of, and that's King Jesus. And his rule and reign is never ending. And we'll bow our knee to King Jesus. Now, think about that in terms. So, so if I'm a Christian and my citizenship is in heaven, then that also means that I want to see heaven here now. It's not just this long-awaited concept. It's the rule and reign of Jesus Christ the King now. Paul's not saying, hey, y'all, one day Christ is going to be king. 
I think that's kind of this idea we have in the American church, that one day Jesus would be king. But that one day is now. Jesus is king now. So how are we going to live that out under the rule and reign of King Jesus? How are we going to live that out? What does it look like to live under the rule and reign of King Jesus here right now? I've got just four thoughts for you. Just four quick thoughts, and then we'll see what happens. Here's, here's what I wrote down. So what does it mean to be about the politics of the kingdom of King Jesus? The first thing that I thought through is, is that we speak the kingdom's language. So we speak the kingdom's language. Remember what he says. He says, those who mind earthly things, they talk earthly things. So what are we to do then? Speak, talk, heavenly things, kingdom things, the things of King Jesus. I think sometimes we're too busy doing the opposite, though. Like, we would probably fall into the category of speaking the earthly things. Like, think about gossip, right? We, we kind of mask gossip as, well, I'm just praying. You just pray, pray about it. So we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to air out everybody's dirty laundry as I am about to pray. And you spend three hours talking about it and never praying, maybe two minutes praying. Or, or maybe gossip is... Um, And in fact, Romans 1 describes gossip as every kind of wickedness. Boy, that hurts. So we just kind of, um, we use gossip as a tool to kind of make us feel uh, spiritually superior over others. Or I don't know, what about just taking cheap shots at other people when they're down? I have the righteous crowd or something. Because I, you know, I'm talking about myself. This was this is one um, biting sarcasm. Notice I didn't say sarcasm because sarcasm is a gift. I think it's in the Bible. I haven't found it. Maybe one of those lost scrolls. Um, anyway, biting sarcasm. You know, like when somebody says, "Hey, I got um, I got a new car." Maybe you got a Kia. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> that's nice. I got a Mercedes. You know that person, like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna lead worship next week. Oh, really? Great. That's that's that kind of biting sarcasm, where you pretend to be happy for someone. Am I alone in this? I'm the only person. All right, I'll be right over there praying and repenting. Earthly talk, always focus on the negative. We don't have a problem with that in America. Focusing on that one wrong thing your spouse did. Focusing on that one wrong thing your kid keeps doing. Like, what, do you not have a brain or something? What's wrong with you, kid? Get your life together. Focusing always on that one bad thing your employer, your employee does, your, your other students. Yeah. So what do we look like when we're talking heavenly language? Well, you can kind of think about the opposite of those things, right? 
we lift each other up. We encourage people. We don't, we're not spending our life and our time debating people. It's an idea of we're spending our time with our talk harvesting people. I, I've used this illustration before and I just thought it was fitting um, to, to talk about this. In fact, uh, we, we use our heavenly language to, to bring people to church. And so I know some people may give me pushback on that, but, but I would suggest that the church, the ecclesia, is the, the best role model for community and life. Because why? We're following the way of King Jesus, right? So we want to invite people into that, that idea of this is what the kingdom of God looks like. So we're harvesting people. We're bringing them in. Jesus said that the world will know you by what? Your love for one another. There's a statistic that would say that personal invites work. How about that? Y'all came here for like a deep revelation and there it is. In fact, we, we have evidence of it today. Someone walking yesterday saw someone, invited them to church. Guess what happened? Yeah, they came. Listen to me carefully. What does that mean? You are God's method to bring people into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I understand that we are in a very hostile environment. I experienced that this week. I understand that we will get a lot of hostility probably because of our message. Most likely that's the reason. So it's hard. It's like God sent us out in a literal desert, right? Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? Um, this is the analogy that I've used before. There was, there was a super bloom that happened a few years ago. And before you show this picture, let me describe to you, or, or not, you can go ahead and put it up there because I want to describe what this is. Um, so where is this? This is in the hottest desert on earth, Death Valley. In fact, Death Valley has the highest temperature on record of 134 degrees. Nah, bro, that ain't for me. So botanists would say that dormant seeds can live up to 30 years in a desert that reaches 130 degrees. To me, that just describes where we are. But all it takes, though, is just one rain. Just the, all it takes is just like the right time. And you get this. This is what the botanists call a super bloom where there was once death, where there was once this extreme, deadly heat. Isn't this indicative of the power of Jesus Christ that he makes dead things come alive? And no matter how dead we think things are around here, this is not Death Valley. I refuse to believe that, and I refuse to be a part of that idea. This is a lie, Valley. It's where Christ's rule and reign will conquer here. And I believe that in Cedar City. And I believe that about Utah. That Christ the King, his rule and reign will bring life 
to what most people see as just dead religion. Nothing is impossible with our Christ. Let me move on. We, the other ways of being political in heaven, bringing heaven's politics down on earth is that we obey the kingdom's law. Now, don't get this mixed up. This isn't the idea that we obey in order to gain the king's acceptance. That's not what Paul would suggest or any writer of the New Testament would suggest. This new way that Paul wanted to infiltrate Rome with is the way of King Jesus. The rule of grace, his rule of mercy, and his just rule also. That's the law of Christ, the love of Christ. And we put ourselves under that authority, the law of Jesus Christ, his love. And again, don't get that mixed with what the Judaizers are trying to do when they say, oh, it's Jesus, but it's also Jesus plus circumcision. See, Jesus, by the cross of Christ, like finished it. Like Old Testament way, no longer. Now the sacrifice of Jesus has ended it all. And so what was ended right there in that moment, the Judaizers are trying to bring it back onto the scene. Our rule is under the King Jesus, not on other things. Not only that, but here's our third thing, and I just got one more and I'll be out the way. We are loyal to the kingdom's cause. What is the kingdom's cause? The Christ, Christ, the cross of Christ, the message of the gospel of Jesus. That's the cause. That's kingdom's cause that Jesus would step out of eternity down here. What John 1 would say is that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. And he came to redeem his people, to be the ultimate sacrifice. That's the cause of the kingdom. That's the whole narrative of the entire scripture pointing back to this Messiah who would one day come and rid us of the oppression, rid us of the rule and reign of sin. And Jesus did that and he conquered sin through the cross of Christ. That is the cause of the kingdom. Get that message out there. I don't know if you've noticed that, but that's one of my points every single Sunday. Go advance King Jesus. Go advance the cause of Christ. If you think I'm on repeat, I am. Because that's Paul's message. That's the Bible's message. That's our message. His rule and reign is now go advance the cause of Christ. And lastly, look what he says, or or look what we have here. Our eyes are set on kingdoms on the kingdom's king. Let me back up and read that passage since it's been at least 30 minutes since I got there and I promise you I'm about to be done. When he says, who will transform, well, but our citizenship in verse 20 is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our eyes are set on King Jesus that one day he will come and consummate the kingdom once and for all. And we'll rule and reign with him in a new heaven and a new earth. Again, sometimes our theology gets a little too bad because we're always thinking, well, I'm just going to be up in there in heaven. Where's Jesus coming? He's coming for us. 
to us again and will reign on a new heaven and a new earth. So our eyes are always set on him. And again, I just have to throw this flag in there. That does not mean that you can neglect the daily responsibilities of what Christ has called you to do right now in the here and now. That every single one of you has a gift that the Holy Spirit has given you. And you are to use that gift not to make yourself look so special, but to do what? To advance the cause of Christ the gospel, the message that Jesus is king, not Nero. Jesus is king, not sex, not money, not power, not fame, not relationships. Jesus is king, not our political systems here. Jesus is king, not the democracy in which you and I live in and we get to enjoy, but Jesus is king. It almost sounds like Paul is advocating for a theocracy, right? but maybe that's another day. Do you speak the kingdom's language? Are you under the kingdom of God's authority? Are you loyal to the kingdom's cause? And are your eyes fixed on King Jesus? 